November 1973, New South Wales, Australia. Two innocent people would be murdered in cold blood by two vicious killers. They would be convicted and marked to die in prison. This is the case of Crump and Baker. Hi, I'm your host Cambo. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Islanders, well, this week we have another truly horrific case. Whereas last week I told you about a couple of pedos that were back on the streets, even after it was their actions that caused the deaths of two young girls. Well, this week I have another disturbing case, but this time the judge wanted them to die in prison. Now, I must apologise for the last couple of months in not being able to release every Sunday as I would like. Uh, Next month may be the same, but I will try to get back on schedule as soon as possible. In fact, next week, I'll be going to Thailand and Vietnam for a friend's wedding. So, yeah, don't expect another one on Sunday. Okay, now let's get back to, let's go back in time to 1973. Now, the Sydney Opera House has opened. The United States ends its involvement in the Vietnam War after signing the Paris Peace Accords. The Supreme Court of the United States rules on Roe v. Wade, which makes abortion a U.S. constitutional right. And that's in the news at the moment. There were Watergate hearings. They began in the United States Senate. And President Richard Nixon tells the nation, I am not a crook. We had The Exorcist movie, and on TV we had MASH and Columbo. I would love Columbo to be on the McCann case. So if you're old enough to remember these things, then you can imagine that length of time and how it's been this long since the two scum I'm going to talk to you about today committed the awful crimes that have them behind bars still. So let's get into this case. Now, I found most of this from Paul B. Kidd's book, Never To Be Released, which has several volumes. And if you're into reading true crime books, look him up as he has many great books available. I also use court records and some newspaper items for the rest of the research. Actually, last night I watched Criminal Investigation Australia, I think that's what it's called, and I found a few little extra bits to put in. Okay, So, these two rapist killers are Alan Baker and Kevin Crump. Now, from what I was able to find, both were born in 1948. Now, from a young age, both of them were destined to a life of crime. For instance, I'll just go over some of Baker's record from when he was 12 years old. In 1960, break, enter and steal. He was committed to an institution. 62, break, enter and steal. Again, committed to an institution. 1963, by a negligent act, 
he causes grievous bodily harm. That was from the use of a firearm. He got probation for 24 months. In 64, stealing, he had three counts. In possession of house-breaking implements, he was committed to an institution for 12 months on each count. In 69, break, enter and steal, he got two years hard labour. Used pistol without a licence, three years hard labour. Escape lawful custody, six months hard labour. Accumulative, with, with three further charges taken into account, And this included an offence where Baker obtained an unlicensed pistol and fired it at a policeman who was trying to arrest him. Now, he sounds like a saint, doesn't he? There were, in addition to the offences, the offences charged, matters related to the theft of a rifle and some hundred rounds of ammunition. In 1969, also, firearm in possession, having previously been convicted of the offence, he got 12 months hard labour. Now, at this stage, he's only 21 years old. In 1973, at Canamble, he was in possession of a firearm. He got three months hard labour. So you can see the baker was basically either in custody or under supervision from the age of 12 right up to 1973 where the main part of this case is set. Crump wasn't much better, but his record while a child I wasn't able to obtain. In fact, it's rare that anyone's record as a a child is ever available to the general public. Now, Crump and Baker, they met in Grafton Jail, and according to Crime Investigation Australia, they had a sexual relationship while inside. They were in at that time for non-violent offences, and were released in October of 1973, within days or a few weeks of each other. On the 28th of October 1973, Crump joined Baker, who was working at the farm at Fairfield Station near Bogabilla, and that's an eight-hour drive north of Sydney near the Queensland border. On the 2nd of November 1973, Crump and Baker left the farm in a car that Crump had stolen just outside of Newcastle at a place called Abadair. Baker and Crump started their new life of crime together. Now, they were working together on this farm. There was bad weather, so the ploughing job they were doing had dried up. (laughs) Hadn't dried up. It was that wet they couldn't plough. So they decided to go on a life of crime. On the 3rd of November, Crump and Baker bought a .308 rifle and ammo at Gundawindi. That morning, 43-year-old Ian Lamb left his home in Gosford to go west in search of some seasonal farm work. This bloke just lived with his mum and he would get work when he could. I mean, he wasn't a saint, but he was just trying to do the right thing. As night fell, he pulled his car into a rest stop at Narrabri for a sleep. Not that it would have helped, but he didn't lock it and had the windows down to let the breeze in. Baker and Crump drove past Lamb's car and stopped to check it out to see if they could siphon some fuel. Baker would go on to describe what happened. We both got out of the car. I got the rifle. I loaded it and I walked over to the car and I pointed the rifle through the window of the driver's side and I seen a man asleep on the front seat. Kevin looked in the back to see if he was by himself, and he was. 
I knocked on the door with my hands and said, Hey you! The bloke sat up and I pulled the trigger and shot him. It hit him in the voice box. Then, for about ten minutes, nothing happened. It was deathly quiet. I was scared. Then I went around to the other side of the car to the passenger's side and opened the door. Kev opened the driver's side door and I went through the man's pockets. I got about 20 bucks out of his pockets and money from the glove box and I got some cigarettes and his wallet. I don't think there was anything else but I left it there. I noticed that the man had been drinking because there were some bottles of beer on the floor. I didn't touch them because there was blood on them. Righto. They then dragged Lamb's body out from the driver's seat and both drove the cars about 12 miles where they left Lamb and his car but punched a hole in the fuel tank to scavenge the fuel. They covered Lamb's body with a blanket, wiped the car clean of prints and drove back towards Gundawindi. While at Gundawindi, they hatched a plan to rob the Morse family farm at Barnaway near Colorenabri. Baker had worked there the year before and they thought they may be able to get money and guns. Which I think is bullshit as I reckon Baker's motivation to go there was mainly 35-year-old Virginia Morse who with her husband and three children lived at the farm. I reckon Baker wanted to have his way with Virginia and any money or guns they could get was just a bonus. On November the 6th, 1973, Baker and Crump camped a few miles from the Morse farm. On the 7th, they then moved to an abandoned police station near the Morse residence. Here they watched the house for a few hours until they saw Mr Morse leave with the kids to take them to the school bus stop. Baker knew he would not return to the house as he would be working in the fields or be gone on other business. Baker and Crump then slowly made their way towards the house, making sure they were not detected. Baker went to the laundry door and Crump to the back door. Crump knocked on the door and Virginia answered it. Baker entered the laundry and as Virginia answered the door, he snuck up behind her and said, Don't turn around. She did and Baker took her into the bedroom and tied her up. They ransacked the house for what they could get. They found a .22 rifle, a shotgun, a .243 rifle, an inscribed watch and a small amount of money. They then bound her hands, gagged her, took her out to her car, filled the tank from the farm Bowser and drove to the abandoned police station where they'd left their car. It's here that they first raped Virginia. Now, there will be some trigger moments and I will let you know when there's a big trigger moment coming up. They then put her and the stolen property into their own car, siphoned out fuel from her car, then took off over the border to Queensland. Now, Virginia recognised Baker as he hadn't worn any disguise, so this meant there was very little chance she was going to get out of this situation alive. In fact, Baker and Crump had discussed this and they were prepared to use Virginia as a human shield in case the cops found them. When the kids finished school and they were not picked up by their mum, now she would row a boat across the creek on the property to get them. The oldest boy swam across, got the boat and collected his siblings. They walked to the house, which was empty. Later, Brian Morse, Virginia's husband, called and the kids told him their mum wasn't home. 
He didn't really panic at this stage, but when he got home and noticed the guns missing and she wasn't with her friends, he called police. Now, police mounted a search which included ground patrols, water patrols and helicopters. When police searched Virginia's car that was drained of fuel and left at the abandoned police station, they found a note with the impression of the word help scratched into it. Now, I don't know. As a kid, I would always think I was going to get abducted and I was thinking, oh, how am I going to leave some notes, with, you know, so people will find me, I don't know. But, yeah, that amazing. It looks like she was able to scratch with a fingernail help into this note. Now, they had this stage found in Lamb's body, but they had no link to who was responsible for the abduction of Virginia Morse. This was early days, although soon... They thought that the suspect, and they only had one suspect at this time, may have been responsible for the recent murders of Gabriel Janke and Michelle Riley, whose bodies were found just weeks before in Ormo and Logan Village. It was Alan Baker, as he had worked for the Morses the year before. So he was the main suspect. So anyway, Baker and Crump now have Virginia bound and gagged in their car going towards Gundawindi. They would travel a distance, they'd both rape Virginia, then continue. Whenever they took off a gag, she would plead with them to let her go. Baker would say, We took her gag off and she kept on saying, What's going to happen to me? My children will be home from school and waiting for me now. I love my children. Please let me go home. And Baker just told her to shut up. They ended up around the Weir River, about 50 miles north of Gundawindi. It's here that they again raped Virginia and discussed what they would do with her. After they finished with her, this is what Baker had said in his statement to police. She wasn't tied to the tree. Her hands were tied in front of her with handkerchiefs. She wasn't crying because I think she was beyond that. She'd been crying most of the time she was gagged and blindfolded. I aimed at her with the .308 and Kevin had the 22, and it was going to be like a firing squad. And then Kevin pulled the trigger and she fell to the ground before I could pull the trigger on my gun. If he hadn't have shot her, I, I would have because we'd both decided to kill her because we'd done those terrible things to her and she would have been able to identify me because I used to work for her husband and I knew if she reported me, we would be in a lot of trouble and she just had to be shot. Okay, there's a big trigger alert now, so fast forward 30 seconds if you are going to be triggered. Now, I'll give you a few seconds to do that. Now, they not only raped her, but they further humiliated her by putting beer bottles and tree branches inside of her. That This is the sort of animals this scum is. Now, apparently they also raped her once she was dead. They then rolled her body into the creek and weighted it down with rocks. Disgusting. On the 13th of November, Baker and Crump were spotted driving their stolen car near Maitland. They attempted to rob a vineyard at Kearsley, but the stolen car they were driving is spotted and police are alerted. Soon police who think they're just chasing car thieves intercept the car. 
A chase is on and Crump, who is driving, speeds off. They end up ramming one of the police cars off the road. Soon, another police car with Senior Constable John Bill Millward driving joined the chase. Crump stops the car and as the police get closer, Baker shoots at the car, hitting the Senior Constable in the face. He will survive this, but Crump and Baker take off again. They end up ditching the car near Woodbine when it gets bogged. They hide out in the river, but police soon find them and realise that they are not just car thieves, but when they see the guns, they now know they are the ones that abducted Virginia and killed Ian Lamb. They're taken into custody, and soon they break down and confess to the killing of Ian Lamb and they admitted to murdering Virginia Morse. Of course, they blame each other, but they do show police where Virginia's body was dumped. So now, we get to the charges they faced, and how they pled. Crump and Baker pleaded not guilty to the four charges of murdering Ian James Land, conspiracy to murder Virginia Morse, maliciously wounding a police officer with intent to prevent lawful apprehension and shooting at police with intent to prevent lawful apprehension. Now, okay, for the conspiracy to murder Virginia, this was because they murdered her in Queensland and so it was decided to charge them with conspiracy to murder her as they had already made up their minds to murder her while they were in New South Wales. They would have had to be extradited to Queensland to face a murder charge, which the New South Wales authorities didn't want to do. Now, they'd be found guilty on all charges, and this is what the judge had to say. For sheer cruelty, for callous indifference to suffering, for a complete disregard of humanity, for the complete absence of a spark of human decency, What you have done to this woman and to her children and to her husband is without parallel in my experience and I've sat here many times over the years. You have outraged all accepted standards of the behaviour of men. The description men ill becomes you. You would be more aptly described as animals and obscene animals of that. The judge described the killing of Mr. Lamb for $20, the petrol in his car, his clothes and his pitifully poor possessions. He referred to the act of Baker in shooting a man he did not know at point-blank range as he was roused from his sleep, concluding that the conspiracy to murder was one of the worst cases the judge imposed on that count a sentence of life imprisonment. The judge said, I believe that you should spend the rest of your lives in jail and there you should die. If ever there was a case where life imprisonment should mean what it says, the imprisonment for the whole of your lives, this is it. If in the future some application is made that you be released on the grounds of clemency or of mercy, then I would venture to suggest to those who are entrusted with the task of determining whether you are entitled to it or not, that the measure of your entitlement to either should be the clemency and mercy you extended to this woman when she begged you for her life. 
In addition, the judge gave his reason for not fixing a non-parole period. My reasons are what I have earlier said and because of the sentences I have already imposed. If ever there was a case where life imprisonment should mean what it says, imprisonment for the whole of your lives, this is it. Now, there would end up being legislation in New South Wales and without going into detail, I think I've mentioned it a little bit in previous cases, it would give those prisoners with indeterminate sentences a chance to have their case looked at with regards to fixing a sentence length and a non-parole period. Of course, these scum tried to get their sentences looked at. In Baker's case, his lawyer argued, and I know it's their job, he said he was then a violent man who had himself been subjected to violence, an antisocial man, relatively young, 25 years of age, with a poor record and a drinking problem, a classic loser. He is now an insightful individual who has been rehabilitated during the 26 and a half years of imprisonment, a peaceful man who contributes to society as best he is able, and a model worker and prisoner. To the extent he can, he has redeemed himself. It would be a heartless community which insisted that such a man be kept in custody forever. To do that would discourage not just the individual, but others who have done extreme harm and then seek redemption. And it would give him no prospects, nothing to work towards, and would leave him stalled in the prison system. Nothing Baker or the court can do will undo his crimes or their consequences. He has served a very long period of imprisonment. Unusually, he has benefited from it in a matter and to an extent such that the prisons department can take pride in its work and he should be allowed to live the last years of his life under supervision in the community. On the evidence, the attendant risks are extremely low. Now, what a load of fucking, fucking bullshit. I mean, what he did, and I said it before, it last week, there's certain things you do, you just give up all chance of rehabilitation. You should just be locked away forever because we don't have the death penalty here. Now, these submissions were made in the context of a wider submission that What must be done is to impose a sentence on Baker which is appropriate for the crimes he has committed. The court having regard to its knowledge of the man as he is now as opposed to the man that he was in November 1973. Well, fuck me. It was refused which prompted the government to amend the legislation so these scummy slime couldn't get a determinate sentence. In Parliament, the minister read the following, and you'll get, you'll know some of the names that pop up here. Alan Baker, Kevin Crump, Michael Murphy, Leslie Murphy, Gary Murphy, John Travis, Michael Murdoch, Stephen Jamison, Matthew Elliott, Bronson Blessington. These animals represent pure evil. These animals deserve never to see the exit sign at the prison gate. These animals are reviled and shunned by anyone who has ever heard of their heinous crimes. 
There is not a person in our community who does not need protection from these animals and the security of knowing they'll never again be free. The decision of the Supreme Court in redetermining Kevin Gary Crump's life sentence has caused grave concern in the community. Crump and Baker committed one of the most revolting crimes this nation has ever seen. Put simply, they deserve to die in jail. Every honourable member of this House should be aware, in Crump's case, of what the sentencing judge, Justice Taylor, said in 1974. He said, and I've said it before but I'll keep going, if in the future some application is made that you be released on the grounds of clemency or mercy, then I would venture to suggest that those who are entrusted with the task, that the measure of your entitlement should the clemency or mercy you extended to this woman when she begged to the life, begged for her life. So Boomfunkalunga Baker and Crump will die in prison, or if released, they'll be so old and feeble as to not know where they are or be able to wipe their own asses. In effect, be totally harmless. Now, Brian Morse, Virginia's husband, told a story of when they met and fell in love. When they decided to marry, Virginia was 20, and so Brian went to see her dad to ask for her hand. Her dad gave him a hard time and told him he had to wait until Virginia turned 21. Brian went to say Virginia was so active in the community and she was always there to help out. Her brother said they tried not to discuss her death as they tried to come to terms with her murder. She was almost forgotten. But in, that in recent years, the family had been able to celebrate the time they had with her. Now, that's so sad. But at least this time, unlike the scum in the past episode, Thorburn and Guider, these animals, Crump and Baker, won't ever be released. Whoa. That was a tough one, that was. But it is the end of the show, and as always, we'll do the Patreon shout-outs. It's a big shout-out to Celeste White. How are you, Bormfuckalunga? A big one to Ben Coglin. I We've been having a few chats about work. Hi, Ben. And Tyler17, Bormfuckalunga, thank you all so much for your support, and thanks so much to all present and past Patreon supporters of the island. Now, last week I sent out a few emails. I think I'm still waiting for one to come back for a mug. And maybe last month I still may be waiting for another Patreon person to get back to me. Just check your spam box if I've reached out to you for what reward you would like. As you know, True Crime Island is a totally listener-supported podcast. I keep it ad-free. As you know, I don't like them and neither do you. If you want to support the island financially, for as little as a dollar a month, you too can become a patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland and check out the levels and rewards. Alternatively, you can do a one-off donation at paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland. Also, you can support the island by getting hold of some merch such as t-shirts, hoodies, beach towels and the fantastic tote bags. Of course, my favourites, the mugs of rage, all available from truecrimeisland.threadless.com. Remember, don't order black mugs, please. 
And uh, I do have keychains, lapel pins, stickers, and oh, I've got no beer koozies left. Basically, they're all gone. You can con- contact me directly with, for those. This can be done by emailing me, cambo at truecrimeisland.com. And that's also the best way to get contact me personally for anything else, such as case requests or just to say, boom, fuck There's links on the website, truecrimeisland.com. That's got everything for Patreon, for Threadless, all that stuff. Okay, now you don't have to spend money, of course, to support the island. You can also rate and review, tell your friends, family and workmates about the island. And if they don't know how to tune in, show them. Search for True Crime Island on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and join the closed group on Facebook. Now, tonight we don't have a promo as such, but if you're in Brisbane in late June, QUT Gardens Theatre in Brisbane is presenting a theatre production called La Monte Anglaise, The Lovers of Vion, which is a true crime why-done-it drama by French writer Marguerite Marguerite Duras. You can find some info on the show at www.gardenstheatre.qut.edu.au forward slash what's dash on slash 2019 slash Lamante Anglaise. Maybe just get to the 2019. You'll search for it there, you'll find it. As the perpetrator is quickly revealed, the play focuses on the killer's motive and features powerhouse and award-winning performances by two of Australia's most experienced stage actors. Now, to get 20% off the tickets to La Monte Anglaise, use promo code MATES at the checkout. So, you can book there at gardentheatre.qut.edu.au. So, I don't normally run ads, but this is something I thought... If people are up in Brisbane, they might want to go and have a look. So that's about it for the show tonight. Lots of love to Maggie James and I'm your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history.